0: When they're diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Those are verses 33 to 43 of Psalm 107, which along with Psalm 108 are the Psalms appointed for today, Saturday, November the 20th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are in uh, the book of Isaiah today. We're, we're heading towards um, Advent, and so we're beginning to look at and look for and toward the, the um, Incarnation. And so what we get is uh, isaiah sixty five verses seventeen to twenty five in the book of the revelation we finish up today with uh, twenty chapter twenty two verses fourteen to twenty one and then in the gospel according to matthew chapter eighteen verses twenty one to thirty five <clears throat> so we we remember we just finished up with a with a little brief overview <laughs> of how hanukkah got started and so now we moved from hanukkah over into the the announcement that God is doing a new thing. And it, this is all written in poetry by the way and it's not it doesn't translate like poetry but it's Hebrew poetry and so it's written where the in, in the Hebrew it would be poetry. <clears throat> so for, behold I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. What a wonderful, blessed thing that is. God will rejoice in Jerusalem, as we saw uh, a couple of days ago in Revelation readings, that, that God would be in the midst of his people in the city of the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven. But, but not only will he be there, he says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infinite who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall paint or plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They should not build in another inhabit. For they shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You remember a couple of days ago when we were looking at the Maccabees getting ready to go into battle, and one of the things that they did was they released four different classes of people from service. One of those was was somebody who was engaged. One is somebody who was building a house. One was planting a vineyard, and the other was people who were just afraid. And, and that was in accordance with Deuteronomy twenty, when Moses initially gave that commandment through the Lord. Obviously, that that those people were excused from service, and so here God recapitulates that same thing. Right? So they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. The the one thing that's that's sort of left out of all that has to do with getting married. Um, and Jesus is clear about the way that looks that there's no procreation in uh, the new heaven and the new earth and the new creation um, but it's it's an interesting thing that 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 sentiment from De- Deuteronomy 20 and also from the Maccabees is is recapitulated here in this Isaiah passage <clears throat> They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer while they're yet speaking. I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food, which is, again, a recapitulation of Genesis 3. <clears throat> That's exactly what his food was intended to be. You'll, you'll uh, eat dust the the entirety of your life. And so it... it but but. That's not a curse here in this time. What it's saying is, is that, that they'll pose no danger to other animals or humans. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And so these are things that, that we, we can see glimpses occasionally of, of the way a symbiotic relationship between humans and animals in a way that, that transcends just domesticated animals. Um, and it's just it, it's fascinating to see when that happens. I mean, I've been feeding raccoons on the back porch for a while now. And so I just put food out for them. Well, one day there's, there's one that that's kind of become uh, more domesticated, not completely, obviously, but, but his name is stubby because he has a little short tail. And so I, I've been getting stubby to stubby will come and eat with me sitting within a foot of him. And he'll come and get things that are right next to me. Well, about Four or five days ago, I got him to take a grape from my hand and eat it, and that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I'm still not ready to start petting him or whatever, but but when we see the reversal of the enmity that was created when sin came into the world, which is exactly what God's saying here, is that all that all that all the stuff that's listed here in Isaiah 65, 17 to 25, are those things that are a result of the curse of sin coming into the world. And so God's saying, I'm doing a new thing, and I'm going to reverse out that effects of sin on the world. And so that, that enmity and division will be gone. And that um, all these things that are a result of sin and, and the curse on the earth because of sin will no longer be true. And our relationship will be restored between God and human beings in such a way that that, that, that there'll be an immediate response even while we're making a plea God will be answering that plea even at the time so so that division is the greatest division to be healed but here he's talking about division between humans in the animal kingdom humans in the earth itself animal kingdom and animal kingdom all those things are going to be changed and transformed in the new creation which is the perfected original creation without sin in the um, in the gospel today remember yesterday what we were talking about at the end of the gospel. The first half of the gospel was had to do with children, and the second half of it had to do with interpersonal sin. And so one of the things that we are responsible for in bringing about Something of the coming of the kingdom of God is the way that we deal with sin in our midst, the way that we deal with with sin among brothers and sisters. And so Jesus said yesterday, the way to deal with that if somebody sins against you is to confront them with it. And if it goes well, then great. If not, then take two or three others and confront that sin. And if that won't work, then confront the whole with the whole body of Christ. And if that won't work, then put them out. Which is exactly what Paul tells them to do in in, um, 1 Corinthians 5 when they've got a man who is living in sin because he's sleeping with his father's wife. And so we we need to deal with sin because we are the garden of the Lord. And so when we have sin in our midst, we tolerate sin in our midst, then we're spoiling the bride. If we thought about the church always as the bride of Christ, then, then what we would have to do is protect that bride, protect it from, from being spoiled and, and from being um, sullied in any shape, form, or fashion. doesn't mean we need to beat people up and all that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is, is we need to deal with obvious sin in our midst. And so how do we do with that? And Jesus told us how to do that. But then Peter Peter asked the question, Lord, how, many, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times, which is in other words, I'm putting it out of reach for you, Peter. You think you're being magnanimous and saying you're going to forgive your brother seven times? No, there's no end to the number of times that you're, you should forgive your brother. And I'm thankful that that's Jesus's perspective on forgiveness, because if it weren't, I would have been out of chances a long, long time ago personally, and so he's calling us to act towards sin and forgiveness in the same way that he acts with, towards sin and forgiveness. But the reality is the one thing that's sort of missing from this discussion is is, uh, is answered in the parable that he tells to explain it, and that is is that, yes, I have to forgive my brother 77 times, but my brother has to confess, has to, has to agree with me that sin has occurred. And when that happens, then I'm bound to forgive, right? It doesn't mean that I'm bound to restore the relationship to exactly what it was before, although I'm thankful God does that with me. But it does mean that we, we are called to forgive whenever somebody confesses. So then he goes on to tell a parable to illustrate this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents, which is like an astronomical sum. It would be almost impossible to ever imagine a situation where someone could pay back ten thousand talents. Um, it would be ridiculous to ever get that far into debt. Um, it's, it, it weighed three thousand shekels, and so it's it's an enormous amount of money and so how do we move on it'd be about 160 million dollars today is is the estimate on that number and so how could i ever possibly get into somebody's debt that far but it tells you something about how how much the king trusted in this thing since he couldn't pay his pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made, which wouldn't do anything much towards settling the debt. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And and, and it's like, okay, there's no chance that's ever going to happen. But out of pity for him, the master, the servant released him and forgave him the debt. I mean, the magnanimity here of uh, the master is just beyond belief. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him about a hundred denarii, which is, you know, a denarii was a day's wages, so we're talking about less than a third of the year's wages, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. In other words, he did exactly the same thing he himself had done and said, have patience with me and I'll pay you, which is exactly what he himself had said to the king for this great, enormous debt he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Well, I'm not sure how that's going to get the debt paid, but but nonetheless, there was no pity. There was no mercy. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. It should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. And that's a huge issue. Um, So often in the church, we we see a refusal to forgive for brothers and sisters. I mean, I've watched it certainly in a million times. Um, I, I could see people upset with one another in the church on a Sunday morning when I get up to preach, and it's like, oh, you're not sitting in your usual seat. Why is that? And then you'd Find out. Well, the reason is, is that that I'm mad at that person over something trivial and insignificant that was done or said, um, and there's great misunderstandings, and that's one of the other reasons to, that that there needs to be a counsel involved if the person refuses to, to repent on on first. Um, confrontation with it is sometimes these things are results of misunderstandings. And so we need to be clear what that is. And so what you do is you gather a couple of people, and they can hear the evidence and then move on from there. And the same could be said for the church. And so we need to be careful about these things, certainly. And we need to be willing to forgive. That needs to be the goal. needs to be constantly to be reconciliation. And we need to pursue reconciliation with everything we have, because the church needs to be a microcosm of, of the new kingdom of the kingdom of God and the new creation. And so we want to make sure that the bride is spotless and pure, which means that that whenever there's obvious sin in our midst, we need to deal with that because we need to be the the example for what the world will look like. Um, But at the same time, we need to be quick to forgive one another, realizing that we live in that kind of fallen, busted, broken world of sin. And so uh, we need to be quick to forgive. We also need to be quick to take responsibility for our sins against one another. In the Revelation passage as we finish this up, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to enter to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And those who wash their robes, we've been told earlier, is you wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb, which seems like this strange oxymoron. But but if you don't come that way, then you don't get to enter uh, the city by the gates or have access to the tree of life, and that's the way that we get access to the tree of life, which is the tree of eternal life, and then that we can come into the heavenly Jerusalem, not because of our own righteousness, but, but as those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, we have confessed and repented of our sins and allowed the blood of Jesus to cover those sins. And he says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have set my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. In other words, I'm the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And the the way I'm pointing that out to you is to say that I'm going to use and quote the prophetic words concerning the Messiah to show you, yes, this is who I am. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life, Without price, I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. and if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, "Surely I am coming soon." Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And so we are to be a pure, spotless bride. And we will be a pure, spotless bride, but only after he cleans it all up <laughs> and prepares the church perfectly well. And so, But we have a role to play in that now by dealing with sin in our own lives and sin in our midst. Those things are really, really important. If we want to see um, what it's like to truly live in the kingdom of God, then, then it's something that deals with sin ruthlessly. Like I said, it's dealing with sin ruthlessly in our own lives, but dealing with sin equally within the church itself, because we are meant to be a harbinger of the kingdom of God. When people look at the church, they should see some representation of the coming of the kingdom and the people of the kingdom who will live in that new world. And so let's prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ as we get ready to move into this season of Advent, into this season where we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. And what a remarkable, remarkable thing it is to even uh, imagine that God came into the world in order to redeem the world and not to judge the world. Could there be any greater love, any greater compassion, any greater mercy than to submit to the cross for the sake of those who put him there?